Hi, this is Dana Gould, comedian, shopper, mother, and you're listening to New Dissident Radio. And this is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Falzone. He uh, is. Uh, I think he's. I think he's in Asheville. I'm not quite sure. Uh, anyway, he's. Uh, you can find his stuff. That was called Radical Heart, obviously. 
And I think the name of the album is also Radical Heart. I'm just trying to play with my levels here. There we go. That's a little better for you guys, isn't it? Uh, and um, you can find his stuff at Ross Falzone, R-O-S-S-F-A-L-Z-O-N-E dot com. Ross Falzone. He's another one of these great artists I've discovered. Um, not that I've discovered. I mean, that sounds so, you know. Uh, but I've encountered, uh, because of this show, I kind of put the word out there on Facebook and Twitter to people, to uh, musicians who uh, don't, uh, who own their own material and don't mind me not paying them royalties and uh, let me play stuff here on my show. And uh, Ross is just a treasure trove of material. Uh, we, we'll be playing another song of his at the end of the show here. Uh, today. So I'm just a little out of sorts today. I'm <laughs> one of those days where I normally have this routine on Thursday where I get up and I meditate and I focus on my the, the guest and I kind of commune in my mind with them and I go over my material and I'm in my home while I do that and then I shower and I get dressed and then I come up La Brea up into Hollywood and it's like a whole little ritual. And today my ritual got completely screwed up because I had a lunch meeting at one o'clock in West Hollywood. And so, uh, and I hadn't written out my script yet for today and my questions. And so I'm a little figurvigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavigavig
I'm I'm just really encouraged by that. And at the same time, I don't assume anything, any outcome of anything. You know, I'm really trying to stay detached from the outcome. And, uh, and, and so that seems to be my formula of the stage. Like, stay with the work, work on the work, make it the best you can, be connected to your process, and really let it go because it's all you can do. And I'm telling you, you know, almost three years ago when my dad died, I could have never, ever, before he died, ever described to you the kind of life I would be leaving, leading after he died. Um, I mean, I had ideas about it, but they were just ideas. And the things that have come into my life and how my life has unfolded is in no way I would have, I, I had too small of a vision for myself. So, uh, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people to really trust that um, sometimes you're, lower self uh, has a too small of a picture of what your life is. So, so, you know, connect with your higher self, your bigger self and uh, connect with that big vision and go for it and let it go. You know, let the universe do its magic while you do the footwork people, you know, none of this secret stuff where, you know, you think about a sapphire necklace and it appears on your neck the next week. I never got that film. I always thought, really, this whole film is using the power of mind to get bicycles and necklaces. I, Oh, that's an embarrassment. Um, anyway, I it's almost ten after the hour here, so I think we should uh, get to our uh, get to our first guest. Get to our one and only guest. Get to my one and only guest. Uh, so my guest today is this really interesting person. The the, re, the way I connected with him was, if you guys remember, about a month or five weeks ago, I had an interview with Tammy Simon of Sounds True. And I was talking to her publicist who runs the whole company. And she said, you know, I was looking at the description of your show and what you're into and how you're into this big cultural shift thing. And I think I have an interesting author for you to connect to. And, and uh, she said, you know, he's written this book about uh, his friendship with a Hawaiian kahuna, which is like a, a healer, teacher, elder. And I'm thinking, I don't think I have anything in common with this man, but okay, send the book. And, and so of course, you know, we do everything last minute. So I read the book this week. And as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, wow, I'm so excited to have this man on the show because uh, I really do connect with him. His name is uh, Hank Wesselman. And he is, he's a really interesting blend of two different kinds of people. He's a cutting edge scientist who has a master's degree in zoology and a doctoral degree in anthropology from the University of uh, California, Berkeley. And for much of the past 40 years, he's conducted research with an international group of scientists exploring Eastern Africa's Great Rift Valley, uh, basically in search of answers to the mystery of, you know, the human origins. Where, where, what are our beginnings? What do they look like? And uh, he, does, he does research around the biology of that time. And, uh, and of course, because he's been in Africa and other places, he was in the Peace Corps too, his fieldwork has allowed him to spend a lot of time with tribal people, um, you know, indigenous people. And, and so this is where Hank's kind of other side of his world came into being, was he started encountering people who practice shamanic uh, traditions. And so Hank also Dr. Wesselman, as he's known as, is also a shamanic practitioner and a teacher 
And he's actually in his 29th year of his apprenticeship. Um, and he's an author, and he's written an autobiographical trilogy, three books, Spirit Walker, Medicine Maker, and Vision Seeker, who've been published into 13 languages and talk a lot about his initiation into the shaman's world of mystery and how he's had these visions and these experiences where he sees other another level of life and, and actually experiences another life. Um, but his most recent book is called The Bowl of Light. And like I said, it's uh, about his relationship with um, this most incredible gentleman uh, whose name is Hale Makua, who is an elder and a kahuna. And uh, so I'm really excited. We're, Hank and I are going to talk about a l- b- bunch of things today. So welcome, Hank. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kelly, you did that very well. <laughs> why, why, thank you. I'm working on becoming a professional at this. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you're obviously good at it. You know, I, I think you should keep doing it. I mean, you know, this, as we said before, it brings us into relationship as co-conspirators <laughs> creating a new world and that's what it's really all about isn't it absolutely and that's why i do this show you know this show for me is about bringing voices uh from all p- walks of life but with you know m- kind of meeting other co-conspirators minds who who really get that um uh, you know, we can we no longer need to to buy into the bullshit system that's here, and and so offering different points of view. Um, so I, it was funny. One of the first things when I was started to read the book, you know, there's like a little chapter with kind of your biographical background and stuff, and I noticed two things. One of which you were born in a hospital in on the Upper West Side of New York, which is where my father was born and raised, and that your mother was from Ohio, as my mom was too. <laughs> So I felt akin with you at the beginning of your book. I'm like, oh, cool. I can totally, I love this. Our our energy is in the right place here. Um, Yes, exactly. (laughs) So so tell me a little bit about your your background as an anthropologist and a zoologist and and the work you do in Africa. Well, you know, I started work as as a zoologist and I, I spent a good deal of my time, you know, through a master's degree, um, studying um, species diversity in the world at large. And there are a lot of people involved in, in zoology who are involved in studying species diversity right now. But, you know, when I went into my graduate work as an anthropologist, I ended up working with these uh, wonderful people, you know, F. Clark Howell, Richard Leakey, Louis Leakey, his father, Mary Leakey, his mother, and what we were all doing is trying to find evidence for the, you know, evolution of humanity in East Africa, fossil stuffs. And, you know, I've been doing that for the, oh, the past 40 years or so. So this is where my, my, my home base is as a mainstream scientist. Now, having said that, you know, it's pretty unusual for me to write something like Spirit Walker, which was my first book. And this was the book that brought me into connection with this Hawaiian kohana, Hale Makua. He read this book and, you know, he studied, you know, what I'd experienced and he realized that I'd had the real experience, the real thing. And so he came into a relationship in my life. And this book, The Bone of Light, is about my, my philosophical discussions with this incredible man. I mean, this was one of the big kohanas. He was like... Um, you know what? He was like the Dalai Lama in many ways, mm. in all nature. And, you know, 
these discussions about the nature of the self, the nature of reality, the nature of the soul, the fact that we have three souls, not one soul, um, you know, all of this is uh, about, you know, who we are and where we are traveling across eternity in this incredible walkabout. I, I guess you could say. And so this is what I've become involved in. <laughs> and and this experience you talk about that you wrote about in Spirit Walker and the and those other two earlier books. Um, describe a little bit about what like so you were like you're this anthropologist minding your own business and then suddenly you have this experience this very shamanic like experience this vision basically and tell me a little bit about that and what that was like for you. Well, the book that drew me into connection with Holly McCoy was the book Spirit Walker. And many of your readers may have read this book because it came out like 15 years ago from Banner Books in New York. And what this book was really about was how I, as a mainstream scientist, suddenly found myself involved in the, shaman, the shaman's world of mystery and magic. I began to have these spontaneous visionary experiences, and I'm going to put this in here, often on the heels of a joyous marital encounter, uh, (laughs) in which I would find myself completely paralyzed. I couldn't move a muscle. And my conscious awareness was drawn into connection with the mind of another man, a man who lives in the future. And to be precise, this is a man who lives roughly 5,000 years after the collapse of Western civilization. And, now, is this far out enough for you? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, here you are, this, you know, man who's grown up in Western science and, you know, born in the United States and everything. And obviously you'd had encounters with indigenous tribes and other people who had these kind of practices, and so you understood that it existed. But were, I mean, did you at first question your own sanity or what was going on, or did you know right away what kind of an experience you were having? Well, I seriously considered that I might be losing my marbles, you know, and I'm sure your father would have, you know, he would have been right in there on my corner because, you know, I was having these experiences in which I was in somebody else's body, you know, living a life in the future in which I had no idea where I was or when I was, but I was aware of the fact that my physical body was lying in bed next to my wife Mm. in Hawaii. And this was the book, Spirit Walker, that really drew me into connection with Hale Makua. Now, Makua, let me just throw this in here. Makua was like, um, he was like the Dalai Lama of Polynesia. Mm. Everyone knew him because of his genealogy. He was the seventh generation direct descendant of, of Kamehameha, the king of Hawaii, on his mother's side. And on his father's side, the seventh generation direct descendant of a high chief named Keuwa, who Kamehameha killed to actually become the king. So here's this guy, uh, and you know I'm, you know I've published this crazy book. You know my, all my my uh, uh, academic colleagues are sort of holding their breath to see what will happen because <laughs> uh, you can imagine. I mean, you can just imagine. You know, here I am. I'm sitting on this pile of data about the. The uh, the uh, well, you know the, the 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 world in which early man came into being. What I do is I recreate the environments in which early man sort of evolved, 
That's what I do as a scientist. And so here are all my colleagues. They're sitting, sitting there going, <laughs> and, you know, I'm going, well, you know, I've met this guy named Holly Makua, and he's come into a relationship with me, and he said to me, look, you know, everything you wrote in your book is true. Wow. I support you. And, you know, what we're going to do now is we're going to come into a relationship and we're going to talk about things. And there are things I want to talk about with you, which I can't talk about with you in Hawaiian, but I could talk about with you in English. And this is what this book, The Bowl of Light, is all about. It's about this incredible body of knowledge from the Kahuna tradition of, of the Polynesian people. And this particular body of knowledge has never been published before. It's, it's absolutely unique. And it reveals something about who we are, where we are, and what we're doing in our long walkabout across eternity. Now, now, uh, help me out here, here, because I, I sometimes like to put on the hat of of the listener who who maybe um, you know kind of looks at this and hears this and thinks, oh, right, whatever. Um, and and so I'm just curious, you know, how do you within yourself even? Hold. I mean, I, I know we I, in a brief email I had said to you, you know, like the the right brain versus the left brain, ho- holding this kind of experience and an understanding of of sh- you know the shamanistic world, the vision world, the dream world. How do you? I mean, because I'm a Jungian. I I'm a, a trained Jungian. I have my master's in depth psychology, and so a part of me sees this as like another aspect of self that's tapping into deep archetypal collective consciousness. Um, you know, and and so so how, why should the you know the average Western American, um, you know, uh, listen to this or read this book even? <laughs> This is, good. this is a very good question, because, you know, I was completely unprepared. You know, here I was, this graduate student from Berkeley, and I'm having these incredible experiences, these visionary experiences in the desert of Ethiopia, in which I'm perceiving in a way which is not possible in our ordinary waking state of consciousness. And I didn't know what to do with this. You know, I began to make sort of notes to myself on yellow pads, and then when the spirit walker experiences began in Hawaii, well, this was really something. And I really didn't know what to do with this. And I didn't know what my, my colleagues were going to do with this either. Now, fortunately for me, I'm sitting on this immense pile of data. And my colleagues want my data. That <laughs> means that they're not going to go after me. <laughs> ah, well, I see. Data. Because if they go after me and they attack me, they know they won't get my data. What my data is about is it's about the, the world in which early man came into being. I found myself as a scientist, as a primary investigator of a series of sites in Ethiopia in which we began to excavate the skeletal remains, the fossilized skeletal remains of an early kind of human, which is so primitive it may be, in fact, the missing link between humans, and apes, the same thing that Charles Darwin predicted we would eventually find in Africa. Wow. So, you know, here I am, you know, a primary investigator on these sites, and I'm going, whoa. (laughs) And at the same time, I'm publishing Spirit Walker. So I had to alert the, you know, the, the, um, 
the, the, the director of the expedition about this, and I had to say to him, you know, listen, I'm publishing this book, and it's going to be weird. And he said, how weird is it? I said, well, this is how weird it's going to be. And so he sort of held back and waited to see what would happen. And then, of course, Spirit Walker came out, and it was published in 13 languages. And so what could they do? You know, these anthropologists, you know, they're all aware of the fact that I'm sitting on this information, on this data. And, and so that's and, what I do. And so and, and so they like respect Barbara, you as you know. yeah, and so they respect you as the scientist and at the same time they know that you're not a crazy man, clearly, that you you know, you're this you're this important scientist and uh so so I, I guess some of them uh have just uh you know, accepted this thing or you know, or or accept it or pretend like it's not happening. I I, I I don't know, but it's it's clearly that you know. I think you're a great example of someone who can walk in both worlds in such a way that um, you know, as 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 Jung used to say, hold the tension of the opposites. I mean, that's that's certainly what you what you do with your whole life. Well, as I said when we talked on the phone before we started the show, we're in this together. Mm. This is all about escaping from the tyranny of culture at large about really discovering who we are and what we're doing here and what this is all about. And this is what Holly Makua's work was really uh, focused on. You know, he, um, this kahuna I came into being with, he, you know, and I became great friends, and over the last eight years of his life, we had this, these incredible discussions, these incredible dialogues. It's kind of like, um, you know, um, Castaneda's dialogues mm-hmm. with Don Juan. Yes. Except, uh, you know, Castaneda's dialogues were fictional. I mean, you know, let's just put it out there. Yes. His books were fictional. And he brought a lot of information into the world. He opened up the Western psyche in a world that, in a way that hadn't been done since Freud. And he succeeded in what he was trying to do. But this book with Hale Makua is something quite unique because it's not fictional, it's real. And here's a man who was the big kahuna. He was like the Dalai Lama of Polynesia in many ways. And the knowledge that he decided to share with me would transform, you know, Western society as well as the world at large when that that knowledge was, was fully appreciated and fully absorbed. And that's what this book, The Bowl of Light, is really about. Uh- and so I have huge hopes for it, you know, that it will be very, very widely read. Well, so let's talk a little bit about what he shared with you. Let, let's kind of, uh, you know, kind of cast a, a wide big net, um, like the, the big overall thing. Like what is his, what's, what's, the, what's the big part of his worldview that he really wants us to get now? Like what does he see that, you know, we need in the world from his tradition and from his, his wisdom teachings? Well, for example, he perceived that there is a plan that's been set into motion by what he called the ancestors. And these ancestors are spirits. They're spirits of all of our ancestors, no matter what culture or tradition we come from. And these circumstances which the ancestors have put into motion will produce the betterment of the individual, the culture, the environment, accompanied by a continuum unfolding spiritual recognition. 
You know, stage by stage, moment to moment, I approach the goal of expanded consciousness. And this is what this plan was all about. It was interesting because there was something he said that was most important for the world, both Western and indigenous, that we need to comprehend. The vision itself, and by association, the ancestral grand plan, cannot be as appropriated by any one group or culture. He said the vision, the vision of what we're going to become, of who we're going to become, lies ever ahead of each aspirant once they step up to become a member of the spiritual hierarchy that serves as an evolutionary stairway. Now, you know, when he talked about this ancestral plan, we, we could think about the fact that you know, it initially could serve as something that would uh, make life easier, make life happier, make life, you know, gooder for the average person out there in society. But really, what this plan represents is a unified effort by the collective planetary spiritual hierarchy. A spiritual hierarchy. And it was originally initiated by, and now is a is supported by the ancestors. The first part of this plan involves the expansion of each individual's horizon of thought, as well as the increasing and strengthening of our spirituality, our self-assurance, and our knowledge at all levels. This is necessary in order to clear up certain areas of doubt, and these doubts are formidable adversaries to all of us because they keep us in confusion and they create separation. You know, Makua is very fond of saying, if you doubt, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd laugh, you know, with with this big laugh. You know, now, so I just, I just want to clarify, I want to clarify, can I just clarify, I want to clarify one thing first, is this, this idea of the ancestors, because, you know, uh, you know, here in Western culture, we have, we no longer are in relationship to our ancestors the way most indigenous cultures are you know most indigenous cultures have a deep relationship with the lineage behind them and then of course generations ahead of them they have this very different relationship between space and time and and who's still with us and who and who connects with us so you know here we are we're you know western people we're on the internet radio and we're talking to people who are all over america and in maybe other countries and, 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 you know, for me, it's like I think of my ancestors, I think of my mom and dad and maybe my grandparents. So how, how can, you, can you help, like, me or someone like me find a way to connect to this idea of ancestors in a very real, tangible way? Well, let me put in here, first of all, that we in, in North America, in, in America today, most of us came here our ancestors came here to escape from an oppressive class system in Europe. All right? Yes. Think about the potato famine in, in Ireland mm-hmm. when a million people died of starvation while Queen Victoria and her cabinet sat on their thumbs and did nothing. Okay? This is, this is, this is history. So, you know, most Americans, their perception of who their ancestors were and what they were all about. We came here to get away from that. But here now in this time, we're discovering that we can't really separate from the ones who gave life to us. And 
You know, part of this plan is to more closely relate and link our spiritual elders, which means our teachers, with each other and with our family members and our communities and the workers in the world. It's about creating connection rather than separation. And to this end, all of our elders, both indigenous and Western, must bring their personal groups of family members, students, spiritual aspirants, colleagues, into connection with each other. This needs to be begun objectively and then, of course, subjectively at the mental-emotional level and eventually spiritually and telepathically. Mm. And this is really what it's all about. And... Um this whole idea of evolution, how do you say, I mean, you're someone who studies evolution in, in a very real sense. I mean, my God, you're talking about the missing link and everything. But when you look at the evolution of human consciousness, um, even over the last, let's say, 5,000 years, and the, the average human on Earth and the expansion of consciousness, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Wilbur and his his integral thinking or uh, even uh, Don Beck and spiral dynamics, but these people who really study the evolution of consciousness itself or, or thought. And, you know, there's this kind of wave, uh, you know, where we kind of start in um, when they talk about it in indigenous societies where there's, you know, magical thinking. And then we go into empire, which is where we got the monotheistic God and religion and empires and things like that. Then we moved on to, um, you know, more of uh, enlightened man and individual rights. And, and now we have something called democracy, you know, and all of that. And, and with that comes an expansion of understanding of who we are and how we're connected. Um, and, and of course, it, it also though comes with letting go of some other things. And, and certainly one of the things that I think uh, has happened to Western mind is that, you know, we've uh, become very, we're very modernized and we have lost the enchantment with the world that indigenous cultures to this day still hold. You know, you, you talk about it in the book a lot and you have a lot of experiences with, with, um, with the big kahuna where there's an actual honoring and conversation with um, parts of nature. Like nature is rocks and trees and wind and ocean and land are, are things to have conversation with, to be in relationship with that there is an enchantment uh, of everything around us. And that's certainly something we've lost here. So, so my, I, I was really thinking about this when I was reading the book that it's so interesting that, you know, we've come forward in this way to have uh, a transcendent of, you know, thinking and to have this understanding of rational thought and postmodern thinking and all these things that are really important. Um, and yet we didn't pick up the important pieces of the cultures behind us with, with the hidden clues, uh, you know, as you describe, and, and actually as you describe his teachings. How, how is it that we should be integrating some of this indigenous work with the Western modern mind at this time? Well, Kelly, you're very well informed. You know, I, I'm very rarely uh, interviewed by somebody who is as aware and as, as well informed as you are. Well, thank Let you. Let me just put this out here. <laughs> That's a compliment. Thank you. You know, the fact is that once we step up to become members of the spiritual hierarchy, which McCoy described, our responsibilities include discovering what it is that we're meant to bridge into this world. Hmm. And this, in addition to all the gifts that we're here to offer, in addition to the life roles and our own personal growth as an embodied 
immortal soul, in addition to the lifelessness that we're here to work on. This is about each one of us clarifying and refining the vision, because the vision itself permeates all of us, and it evolves and changes as we grow and evolve and change ourselves. You know, nothing is set in stone. Not, you know, religion, not scripture, not, you know, the Bible, not nothing. So with this emphatic proclamation, you know, we could say, you know, that there are, are three different levels to this plan. And this plan, really, in Makua's perception, was a foundation for the next cycle of ages. You know, as most of your listeners are aware, we're coming to the end of a, of a cycle of ages. You know, it's been 26,000 years. It's coming to the end in 2012, or so the Mayans and the Hopis and the others say. And, you know, it doesn't matter when it comes to an end, but the fact is that it's coming to an end. And what's happening is that everything is unraveling, and it's not too difficult to see that happening. <laughs> this is very true. Weather. Look at the weather. Look at the financial world. Look at the political world. I mean, everything is unraveling and in a very dramatic way. So what happens now is that the new foundation of the next cycle is being established. And what we decide to build on that next foundation is very important because it will determine the life ways as well as the spiritual practice for the next several thousand years. Uh, and you know, we could say, you know, that the three levels of the plan, as Makua perceived them, are, are uh, first of all, political. You know, uh, the foundation for these links, which are, you know, based in, com in consciousness, have to be based in compassion. Mm -hmm. uh, this consciousness will create a foundation and an embodied spirit of international appearance, uh, interdependence, and interrelation based on that aloha. So what it means is that isolation and separateness and exclusiveness and the cultivation of nationalism simply has to go. Simply has to go. Then you have religion. You know, the second division of the plan could be called religious, and the time has come to really establish a, comp a comprehensive and universal understanding about the nature of reality and the nature of ourselves, physical, and mental, emotional, and spiritual, a perspective that fosters the growth of our spiritual consciousness. And, you know, speaking frankly, our organized religions have been, on the whole, a serious impediment to the growth of this awareness in humanity. Absolutely. thousand years. Yes. You know, I mean, this is a real problem. You know, the old religions, you know, the old-time religions, you and I both know that, you know, those people have been going to the same church for 75 years. They're not going to change. <laughs> but, you know, they're going to pass. And the young people who are coming along after them have a completely different frame of reference. And this is where the new religion is going to begin. And the, the, new comp, the new religious complex, if I could put it this way, involves the awareness that each one of us can have the direct transcendent experience of the sacred realms that defines the mystic, mm -hmm. defines the shaman. And there is a, a technology of transcendence which is, you know, enables this you know, experience. And this is something which is happening right now in Western society. And 
literally hordes of people are leaving our mainstream religions in droves. Uh, they're searching for a new kind of spiritual tradition. And this is what, you know, is coming into being in our time. Now, now I, I have a, I, I, you know, I hear you and I, and, and, 90% of me is in total alignment with this and, 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 and really understands what you're saying, you know, that it really is, it's a very personal journey, uh, this, this mystic journey and finding your own relationship with the transcendent is, you know, I just love that about, you know, Hale Makua, that he won't become anyone's teacher because we're our own best teachers. And, and I know for myself, I've been on a 20 year journey to, to find my own relationship with the transcendent and, and just really the last few years, have I actually felt uh, okay with 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 where I'm at and, and my own exploration w- with it? Um, but there's also a part of me, and there's this interesting line that I don't know if you, I don't know if you, it's something you said or it's something that he said, but it's you talk about the acceptance of the inevitable and detachment from the results. And oh, yeah. yes, and so there's a there's a part of me that sits here and I see what's going on in the world uh, with. Politically and religiously, a lot of that is mixed up, of course, and economically. And there's a lot of chaos. Like you said, the systems are breaking down. Things are coming apart at the seams. And, and I see real human suffering going on. And, and I have a lot of friends and a lot of people who like to bark from the left to the right. And I have some people from the right who like to you know bark at the left. And they all have these sides they've picked on. And they all have solutions they're throwing at everything. And there's a, you know, 90% of me really stands in that place that you say, that acceptance of the inevitable and detachment from the results. But there's also a part of me that sits here and goes, but this is irresponsible to stand back and just send compassion to the world that there, there's got to be something, you know, and then there's something you talk about it in the book too, about um, the idea of life roles, that we all have different roles. And, and I feel that, you know, part of my role is to, to talk about these things and to communicate about it and um, to, to study it, but not always to roll up my sleeves and get in the trenches. And so I was just curious about your position on that. Like, what do we do while all of this is coming apart at the seams? Well, you know, in my own, in my own case, I'm living here in, on the big island of Hawaii. And my wife and I are, are creating an organic farm involved in food production so that when the big crunch comes, you know, we're going to eat. And, you know, we know a lot of people who are doing this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very politely declining to play the game anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what is meant by acceptance and detachment. We accept what is, and we detach from those things that we really can't do anything about anymore. And, you know, there are increasing numbers of people in our society who are moving in this direction. And I really support them. I really applaud them in what they're trying to do. Um, You know, at the same time, things are in a dreadful mess. You know, and this is part of what we describe in the book and why it's in a dreadful mess. You know, it's like that bowl of light is filled with stones and the world is being run by men whose, you know, their bowl of light is filled with stones. They don't know what they're doing. They're just sort of working in a reactive way to what the world is sort of shoving at them and what they created for themselves. And so I think it's an important thing for all of us to 
you know, come to that conclusion about who we are and where we are and what we want to do and what we want to provide for the next seven generations. And that's what I'm involved in here in Hawaii, mm. in, where I'm living on my farm in Hawaii. You know, I <laughs> I don't know if this makes any, any sense to people who are living in L.A., and I know L.A. very well. You know, I've been in and out of L.A. for 40, 50 years. Um, but the fact is that, you know, things are not going well, and we need to make new decisions about who we are and what we are and where we want to really go with the next, you know, cycle of, of, of ages. And this is really what it's all about. And I think that, you know, Politically, this is a this is a, a squeaky thing. Um, you know, in my life as a scientist, you know, I see myself as being involved in bringing science and spirituality together. You know, in bringing the awareness of what science has to offer with the awareness of the mystic, and creating a new perspective on the nature of reality mm. that we can move into and create something entirely new. Yeah, it seems to me to be a good thing. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting, just as I sit here talking with you uh, in this field that you and I are creating together, this this co-creation we're doing here today, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I just had this shift in my consciousness about something, which is that, you know... I can't fix the United States political system as it is today. There's, there's so much money in the system and, and you even, you know, and, and you guys both talk about this in the book a lot, but there is something about that long-term view, that seven generations thing. Like what is the work that I can do now while I'm here on the planet to prepare the, the consciousness of the planet and to, to, to prepare the younger people or, or whatever it is, a system, uh, you know, a, a forwarding of, of connection, like you said, between science and spirit or, or, or whatever it is, and, and know that I have a small part to play in it during this life here on this planet. And that, um, you know, it's, it's almost like those, those people in the Middle Ages who built cathedrals, you know, those cathedrals were built by multi-generations of builders. When they started a cathedral, they knew that they would not see it finished. And, and you know, in this day and age, in this modern life, we don't have that kind of thinking anymore. It's all about the short arc, and it's all about getting it now and having it and having your thing and getting your goods and stuffing them in the bank and in your big house on the hill and, and it being about that. But this idea of being committed to the full span of humanity and, and yeah, is, is really, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful perspective to sit into because then the work feels, you, I don't feel as uh, overwhelmed and as scared. And I feel like I'm really connected to something much bigger than myself. You know, um, a couple of months ago I was, in a, I was in LA and I had lunch with Joe Carey, who is the um, events coordinator over at the Bodhi Bodhi Tree book, Bookstore, mm-hmm. and you know that place. Yes. You know, this is a, an important crossroads. And Joe is a wonderful person. She's a real medicine woman. And, you know, we were talking about this, and one of the things we talked about was the fact that, you know, it's really up to us at this time to create those goals, those decisions, those 
those thought forms that we really want to move into and, you know, live in and pass on to the next generations. This is an incredibly important thing to do. And this is part of what this book, The Bowl of Light, is all about. It's about, you know, really giving people permission to, you know, move in this direction. Because if we don't, we're in in deep (laughs) doo-doo. Absolutely. I mean, the species, as my dad used to say, you know, the planet is fine, the people are fucked. (laughs) We are. And so it's very important for all of us now to pull together. You know, as Makua would have said, the Kohana, you know, we're all in the canoe together. Mm-hmm. We all keep paddling, and we all keep bailing, and we all keep paddling in the same direction. We'll reach the island. And mm-hmm. this is really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Most people in the corporate world don't have a clue. I mean, these guys are still playing the old going, the old game, the old paradigm. And, you know, those of us who are practicing acceptance and detachment, you know, we're accepting what it is that is, and we're detaching for those things that we cannot do anything about. I mean, we're just slowly declining to play the game anymore. Mm. More and more people are, are moving in that direction. And it's going to leave the politicians kind of high and dry, in my opinion. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, Hank, we are out of time. I wish we had a whole, a whole other hour. And I'm hoping to make it over uh, to the big island this year to visit my other friend there on the island. So have a Mai Tai. we will have to go and have a Mai Tai. I like that. I like a, I like <laughs> a, I like a spiritual teacher who's not afraid to have a Mai Tai. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you so much and, uh, aloha to you. And, uh, you have a great, uh, you have a great, uh, great weekend. And thanks for everything you're doing in the world. You know, it's very, very important, the work that you're doing. Kelly, you know, we're in this together and, you know, if we keep paddling and we keep bailing, we'll reach the island. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Hank. Okay. Good night. Aloha nui. Aloha nui. Well, there it is, Hank Wesselman. So whether you're into shamanic stuff or not, if you are, uh, I really encourage you to go get this book. It's a beautiful book, and his friendship with um, Hale Makua is just beautifully illustrated and talked about in this book. And if you're not, I think, you know, Hank gave us a really great big perspective today to sit into, which is what does our life look like? What does our life's work look like uh, if we really think about seven generations you know, the, the work that we're here to do to help humanity move forward and to have, uh, have a humanity in seven generations. Uh, so I'm, I'm really thrilled he was here today. Next week, uh, we have actress, writer, and correspondent from the first years on The Daily Show, Miss Beth Littleford. I'm very excited to have her on. Of course, if you have any music or feedback for me, you can certainly email me at wfadradio at gmail.com. And I want to thank you for listening live today. And I want to thank everyone for downloading me off the archives and off iTunes. I really, really appreciate your listening and your being part of my community. It really humbles me very much. I also want to thank uh, Barbara Roman, my producer, and Johnny Dam, who runs New Dissident Radio. He's the best. My husband, Bob. Everyone on the Twitterverse and Facebook land, all my friends and family, all of you crazies over at the Polymind Commune. 
And uh, I want to thank the big, uh, the, the big canoe in the sky, or the, the, all the ancestors today, and uh, aloha to all of you. And we're going to end the show here with uh, another Ross Falzone song. Uh, this one is called I Think I Saw Jesus. I think you'll enjoy this one. I think I saw Jesus just the other day Coming out of a dumpster out back of the Circle K He didn't ask for nothing He just rummaged through his pile He said good morning to me With a crooked toothless smile I think I saw Jesus And I've been seeing him everywhere Lately he don't look so good Like he don't have a grill He comes in a lot of faces He speaks in many tongues Showing up in the strangest places You're just looking for some love I think I saw Jesus This time he was a she All dressed up like a working girl Down on Bourbon Street She said we're all junkies for something Looking for a fix in your heart and you can buy a prayer from him put it on your master card we don't have to be a weatherman to read this here forecast that sucker wouldn't know the king of kings if he kicked him in the ass i think i saw jesus and i've been seeing him everywhere Just looking